0: Great. I got like a nice blurry selfie and, and and stuff, so but i was so I was there, but even then even then, I missed you guys dearly and stuff so i 'm excited to be back um, today we 're wrapping up the series um, I believe we 've been in the series for uh, a couple of weeks now, and uh, we 're wrapping it up before we head into Easter, but before we do that um we kind of want to turn our attention towards Easter this week, start like really focusing and, and thinking about it. And so uh, Pastor Rob asked me um, to preach to preach on the story, to teach on the story of the Bible. And, and that can be kind of a, a tough thing sort of to do, right? Like the, the Bible, um, it's kind of like a lot of stories, right? It's, like, a lot of different stories put together in this, like, big encyclopedic Bible, right? Um, You have, like, you know, you're kind of, like, good children's church stories that are, like, you know, Noah's Ark, the Garden of Eden, Daniel and the Lion's Den. And, you know, you have stories about King David. You know, there's this section that's all about King David and, you know, all the stuff that he did, good and bad, and uh, then there's like Jesus, right? You know, we got lots of stories about Jesus, and and it can kind of feel like you know that the Bible is like just uh like a set of you know like a you know sort of like fairy tales with moral stories, right? Like this is like let me tell you a bedtime story about like you know Christianity, you know, and and it can feel kind of disjointed sometimes, and and that's that's natural because like the Bible is like written by a bunch of different authors, you know, and there's a bunch of different, like, genres within the Bible, you know. Some of it is, like, historical, you know, and some of it is, like, preaching letters, you know, their arguments, and some of it is poetry, and some of it is songs. And and so it can feel like, you know, like, is, is there a cohesive story to this whole thing? Is there a cohesive story to the Bible, and so as we talk about believing in the story today, my goal is um, to kind of give you guys like a you know like a cliff notes of of the Bible, like what what is the Bible about in like one or two sentences, and 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 what's the consistent theme that runs throughout the entire thing from the Old Testament. So to do that, um. I want to start way back in Genesis. I can go way back to the beginning of Genesis 3. Um, so in Genesis 3, we've just, you know, God has created the world and then He's created um, this garden, and everything in the garden is perfect and good and paradise, right? And there's no tears and there's lots to eat, and and it's it's awesome, right? Um But in in all of the garden, there is this one thing that that God tells Adam and Eve. He tells them, um, you can eat and drink anything here except um, from this one tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And he tells them, don't touch that, don't eat that, because if you do, you'll die. Right? So I know, like, parents in the room are probably thinking, like, God, you told them one thing not to do. Like, what do you expect that they're gonna do? You know, like if you have kids, right? Don't touch that one thing. Don't do. You can do anything except that. You know. And so, I don't think that's quite the moral of the story here. But you know, um, and 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 it, and, it, and it's different because um, there's the snake, right? There's this uh, this talking snake that comes along and 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 he talks to to Eve and he and he says uh um did god say you couldn't eat from any of the trees in the garden? See it's kind of tricky tricky question. And Eve says, "Well, no, um god said I could eat from any of the trees except just that one. Like any of the other trees except that one because uh if we eat from that we'll die." And the snake says back to Eve, like, God said, what now? No, 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 no. no. He's, he said he couldn't eat from that one tree. God's just, like, trying to trick you. No, if, if you eat from that one tree, you'll become wise like God. Like, if you eat from that tree, you, you'll become wise, and God just doesn't want you to wise up, that he's trying to keep you dumb, and, and, and if, you, if, you, if you eat from that, you'll be like him. And so, um, so Adam and Eve, they, they believe the snake. Uh, they decide to eat the fruit. And because, uh, because of it, all the goodness of the garden is lost. And, and evil and tragedy enter into uh, creation and, and death enters in as well. So my question has always been, you know, when, when, when I read this story, like, what's up with the snake, right? You know, like, um, where, where I grew up, we had lots of, like, garden snakes um, in Minnesota, and, like, we had this big backyard, and there's always snakes slowly and through, and every once in a while, someone would even get in our basement somehow, which that's freaky, right? Going down in your basement, just going to watch some TV, play some video games. And then there's a snake inside. Uh, and so my reaction typically is like, gotta take care of the snake, right? Um if it was like a talking evil snake, then I'd definitely be like taking care of it, right? Um that that that's what I'm thinking. And so in this story, you know, later throughout the Bible, uh, we gain a clearer picture of of who the snake is, who where he came from. You know, this is, this is Satan. This is the, the seed of all evil. That's what the snake is, right? But in this, in this story in Genesis, we don't really get all of that quite yet. All we're told is um, that this, this snake is a creature created by God who is in rebellion against God and wants people to doubt God and lead them on a path to their destruction, and so God, upon finding out that, that the snake tricked um, Adam and Eve, is, is very mad. And, and, and so I want to read Genesis 3, 14 through 15, and, and really pay attention, because this is going to be key to setting up the cliff notes of the entire Bible. So the Lord, God said to the serpent, "'Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals.'" You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, that's Eve, and between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. This is kind of a weird promise, kind of a strange prophecy or whatever. But what it's essentially saying is that someone in the future a son of Eve, a, 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 a descendant of Eve, is going to come. And this guy's going to, to battle with the serpent and crush his head. But then, and, and, and crush the head and destroy all evil. But then, also, it says in this that the serpent will strike his heel. There's kind of like a mutual destruction sort of thing going on. Like, they'll have this battle, and they'll both end up dying. So, from here, the story moves on, right? This is, this is like, the, the key setup. And, and, you know, in this verse, we begin to see why, like, lineage and genealogy is, like, so important in the Bible, right? Have you guys ever noticed that? You've been reading, like, several times, I'm like, I'm going to read through the Old Testament, and then I kind of, like, slow down when I get to, like, the have and have-nots, right? When it's, like, or not, begots, you know. He had this guy, he had this guy, and I'm, like, boring, you know. Uh, Ancestry.com up in here, come on. Um, And so, you know, and I always wondered, like, what's the significance of this? Why, like, this seems like extra details that I don't necessarily need, right? Um, But it's extremely important because all of... All Scripture is, is, is kind of uh, hoping to resolve this problem, right? That, that because, of, because of this deception by the serpent, Adam and Eve are forced to leave the Garden of Eden. They're forced to because, um, because they've become sinful, and God's very nature is the opposite of sin, right? You can think of it like, as if God's allergic to sin, right? He cannot be around it. And so Adam and Eve are forced to leave. But we see in this verse um, in this passage that God is not a God who just says, well, you made a big mistake and see ya. But he's a God who immediately is forming a plan to to mend that relationship so that humanity and God can, can live together in harmony, that they can be in the same place, that, that, that we will become righteous, that we will become sinless so that we can be in God's presence in his sight. So the story moves on, um, from here. Uh, it, it traces Eve's lineage to this guy named Abraham, right? You've heard of him. Um, and God tells him that through Abraham's family, uh, that God will, God's intended blessing for humanity, this relationship that He desires to have, that He will bring it to all the nations through Abraham's family. In Genesis um, twenty-two eighteen, we read this promise: "Through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed." And so, this is like the nation of Israel. This is the beginning of that. And as we follow His lineage, um, we come down to. To Abraham's great grandson, this guy named Judah. And, and uh, Jacob tells Judah, his son, this, this prophecy. He tells him uh, the whole world is going, that, that a king is going to come from, from his lineage, from his vine, it says. Um, and the whole world is going to follow this king, and he's going to bring peace and harmony. And when this kingdom comes, there's going to be lots of food and wine and milk and honey. And it's basically going to be super awesome. That's the Bible's definition of, like, the best thing ever. Milk, honey, wine, food. And... It's going to be, and it just, you know, it's, it's look forward to this day is what it's saying. And so eventually Israel, like, does get this king. Like, before this, Israel had no kings. They weren't, like, a king-type nation, and but they really wanted one, and so they got this king. And the first king they had is this dude named Saul, um, which uh, he, he was very, like, wise at first, but had, had some issues, had some problems, got a little senile. Um, towards the end of his life, and but the key thing is is uh, Saul uh, was a descendant of Benjamin, which was judah 's brother, so he wasn 't like the king that was going to fulfill this promise that a king would come back and defeat the serpent and and destroy evil but then the next king that comes along is this is this boy named David n who is from the line of judah and there's so much like hope. There's, the, David is like a hero. He's a man o- after God's own heart. And people start to wonder, like is David the Messiah? Is David the one who will rescue us and, and, and start this kingdom through which all the other nations um, are blessed and, and come to know God? Um, but ultimately, as we read along in David's story, we see that he is infected with evil. Just like everyone else, and he falls short, and so, but but God, even though He messes up and does some bad things, um, He God makes this promise to David uh, in First Chronicles seventeen, verse ten. I declare to you that the Lord will build a house for you when your days are over and you go down to be with your ancestors. I will raise up from your offspring to. Su- Seed you uh, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. I will never take my love away as I took it away from your predecessor. I will set him over my house and my kingdom forever. His throne will be established forever. So here God, you know, just imagine this, you know, imagine you don't know about Jesus, right? And so uh God makes this promise to David that from his line like a, a another king will come who who will do all this this wonderful things and 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 be that Messiah to Israel. But if you read on through through the Bible, David's sons uh that follow on after him, they're kind of they're kind of sleazy dudes. Uh, they, they, you know, are, are tempted by, by the snake. They, they go after power. They go after money. They go after sex. And, and they even start worshiping other gods. And so it's really kind of like just kind of disastrous. And, and what ends up happening is the nation of Israel um, just gets ran into the ground by these guys. Like, they, they, they become weak and powerless, um, they're corrupt, and eventually the Babylonian Empire just comes along and, and, and wipes them out, destroys them. And so now, at this point in Israel's story, the, the question is, is how, where's this king going to come from, right? We have these promises that a king is going to come and restore the relationship between men and God, But now we have no kings. There is no kingdom. And how is this going to go on? So in the midst of this, in these dark times, um, there's there's this group of books that are written um, by these guys named Prophets. They're kind of, uh, you know, uh, eccentric dudes, kind of, you know. And uh, we have all these books from these guys that their basic message, they keep on talking about the coming king. Even though the nation of Israel has been destroyed, they keep on talking about the coming king and how God will one day restore the relationship between, uh, between God and man. And so one of the guys who, who does this a lot um, is this dude named Isaiah. Um, and he says all the things that we've heard before, right, that, that God will bring all the nations into his future kingdom of peace uh, and will be ruled by the line of David. But he also tells us some, some new things that we haven't heard. Um, Isaiah also said that this future king would become a, a suffering servant who will be rejected by his people and die because of the sins of his people. He goes on to say, however, this king will come back from death to offer forgiveness, healing, and new life to others. And when the future uh, kingdom of God arrives, there will be new creation. And then he even says this in Isaiah 65, 25. He says, and dust will be the serpent's food. So he like, does this direct reference all the way back to Genesis 3, where God tells the snake that, that he'll slither on his belly and eat dust forever. And Isaiah references that. So even though we're thought like a thousand years later, right? This is still what the people of Israel are talking about and looking forward to. This, this coming king who will defeat the snake, who will defeat evil. So after, after the prophets, um, the story kind of goes cold for like 400 years. The, the Old Testament kind of abruptly ends. And, and, and it's unsure whether um, this thing is actually going to happen, right? If anyone is actually going to come along um, and save them. But this is why, like in the New Testament, it's, it's so emphatic about who Jesus is. When we're introduced to Jesus, it's not like some random guy um, with, like, long hair and a great smile. Uh, The the New Testament immediately kicks off with with his lineage. Matthew 1.1. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then it goes on to all the way back from Abraham lists... Person after person after who you know all the way up until Jesus, so we can see like why this is so important. Why why it's important that that he's got the right genes, right? I don't know. I always thought I was like, I mean, I guess it's cool that like he's like a grandson of David and stuff. But why is that important? Well, it's important because of this in Genesis three, this 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 promise that. That we're given, that the coming King will come, and so Jesus, uh, shortly before he begins his ministry, before he starts going around preaching the good news, he he goes into the desert, right, to to be tempted by Satan, who we understand by this point that Satan and the snake from Genesis are the same same person, right, and so Jesus goes into the wilderness, and and is tempted, right, just like Adam and Eve were, by, by power and wisdom and money and influence. But Jesus, unlike Adam and Eve or any human sense, is able to resist the temptation. He does not fall into temptation and thus becomes becomes ruler over it. So he, he goes around proclaiming that the kingdom of God is here. He starts going around... Uh, overcoming evil by healing the sick by casting out demons by by proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and people are drawn to him and they and they start um going around uh calling him king they start seeing asking if this is truly the one who will save us who will save israel and so they start calling him the king and uh, and the and the Roman government doesn't care for that much right they they uh they don't want other people calling themselves king they kind of want control of that and so what ends up happening is is jesus is is crucified right by his own people by by the Jewish people who uh didn't really like what he what he had to say and and so Jesus is put to death just like the just like the story said it would be and it would be tragic if it ended here but Jesus rose again and that's what we celebrate this week when we look forward to to Easter that's that's what we want want to think about um and now he sits on the throne in, in Luke 24:27 uh, Jesus is telling his disciples and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was written in all the scripture about himself. So if you want to like understand what scripture is about, right? It, it all starts with in, in that in that Genesis story when in the Garden of Eden, when 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 humanity falls away from God, God immediately has a plan. To, to mend that broken relationship. He immediately has, has a way of doing it. And, and so this whole thing, this whole Old Testament has, has been leading up to this moment, right? So that's the story we talk about. That's the story we, we believe in, right? But I want to talk about um, what it means to believe the story. You know, sometimes we talk about faith, and. Um, and sometimes we have the wrong idea that, that faith is just about uh, believing that something exists, right? Like, uh, you know, if I believe you exist, like, or no, 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 so if I believe in you, right? If I say, Pastor Cleveland, I believe in you, am I talking about I believe that he exists? Or am I talking about I believe that he's capable of doing something or, 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 or that uh that he can do something great that so often we 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 think about like belief in god or belief in the scriptures as like just like a factual like do i factually believe that these stories are here or that they actually happen but true faith true belief uh goes beyond that um just before uh just between these two services actually um David Green um was back in, in this in this hallway and there's uh there's like a ladder. Uh there's you know, one of those scary ceiling ladders that you pull down on the string and the stairs come flying at you. Um, and so he's trying to get back there, right? And and this I don't think these stairs are rated for anyone over ten pounds, honestly. Because like it's too long, and so, like, as soon as the stairs get, like, it kind of does this, like, crooked thing. So then as you're climbing up, like, the, the ladder is going back and forth, and it's made from wood, um, which I guess that doesn't matter if it's good wood, but it just seems, like, really rickety, right? And it's, it's one thing to, to say, like, to look at that ladder and say, like, I believe I can get up into the attic through that ladder, right? Like, I believe it's possible. It's another thing to actually climb up it, right? To actually believe it enough that it won't kill you, right? I, I, I'm reminded of, like, um, the first time I, like, went skiing with my parents. I was, like, nine years old or something. And I don't know how we get away with ski lifts, Right? Like there's these scary little chairs that are hanging from a wire. There's no like seat belts on them, and and so I I find it like you know difficult to to I, I just it seems like you should have to have like your license or something before you can ride a chairlift because I, what's keeping me from jumping off? I don't know. It, it, it's kind of weird. And, and I remember being like nine years old and and, and thinking like that is terrifying. You know, and I see all these other people like just getting on, you know, going up the mountain and then like hopping off and it seems to be working fine. But like that wire just doesn't like, there's a lot of people on this wire and, 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 and it takes a certain amount of like trust, right. To, uh, to, to get on a chairlift. And, and so what I'm asking, um, is, uh, if, a uh, If we have if we have that right amount of faith in in the story, do we do we read this story and and think like that? That's a that's a great story? Or does it actually produce change in our lives? Right? Do do we do we read this story and 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 go on with our days the same way that we did, or do we take uh, the truths that we read in the Bible? And apply them to our lives. And yes, that can be scary or counterproductive or uh, illogical sometimes. But do we trust God? That's the question. Do we trust this story? As, as, as we look forward, and, and this is kind of um, your homework as we head towards Easter, to, to reflect um, on, on the Easter story. To reflect on Christ's resurrection and everything they said and did, and think: is is there a serious change in my life? Do I just believe this because like it's there, or do I believe it in such a way that I lean on it, that I trust it, that I uh, make myself vulnerable to what it says? You know, when when it when it talks about how to how to love others. Do I just say that's nice or do I actually try and love others that way? When it talks about how to treat your enemies, do I actually, do I just say that's nice or do I actually follow through, put my trust, put, put my weight on that and, and, and trust that God has my best interest in mind? If you'll stand with me as we close. Heavenly Father, God, I just pray that you would work within us as your people. That you would remind us of your great sacrifice. That we would not take for granted the, the lengths that you would go to to save your people. God, that you desire to have a relationship with us, that you desire to be in communion with us, that you desire for us to be in your presence, and you, from the moment that that was broken, desired to to get us back, even so to send your son, knowing that he would have to die so that we could live God, I pray that you would just put within us a faith and trust in you. That we would believe in you, believe in your word, believe in your story. Not in a way that is just reflective of its existence, but that our lives would be be based upon it. That every decision that we would make would be based upon your influence and your word. God, I just pray that you would be with us this season, God, as we look forward to Easter. God, I pray that you would just bring to the forefront of our minds your great sacrifice and your great victory, God, that we can have confidence in you because you rose again, God, because you completed uh, this promise that was made thousands of years ago, God, that we can be assured that you are king, that you are in control, God. And I pray that you would right now, Work in us as a church. That we would become a family to those who have no family. That we would become welcoming to those who need to be welcomed. God, that we would feed those who are hungry. That we would love those who need love. God, and I just pray right now that you would uh, prepare us as your people. That we would have a wonderful experience this Easter. God, I pray that you'd be with us as a people as we go out into the park this week and minister to the people of our community. God, I pray that you would just put your light within us, God, that we would shine brightly for all to see, God, that we would have a countenance about us that is hopeful, that is friendly, that is loving that those who come into contact with us there, that, that, that they immediately feel that. God, I pray that you would prepare the hearts of those in our community, that you would just uh, be at work within them, that you would uh, put, put an inkling as to what is missing in their life, God, that they would come to, to find that they are in need of you and a relationship with you, God. And I pray that you would just give us, your people, your church here at Triumph, the words to say, the words to, to influence, God, the questions to ask, that we would be brave, that you would, your spirit would be within us, empowering us to, to invite those around us to come and share life with us, to be a part of what is going on here, God. We pray all these things in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Well, before we move on to the offering, real quick,